Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And pray, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. Even if it brings some pain. There's a, there's a season that's just begun. I don't know if you've noticed it. I don't think it's called spring or summer. I'm not talking about those seasons because I'll be honest with you. I'm totally confused. I have no idea. I think I feel like I'm living on a tropical island now or something. The rain's just, we have a rainy season now, I think. But no, I'm talking about a, a different season that occurs every year in the state of Michigan, and I call it orange barrel season. You know what I'm talking about? It's really a season of pain for many of us who commute, especially if you commute a long way. You know what I'm talking about? Road construction, it's a pain in the neck. We need it. We live in a state that freezes. They pile salt on the roads. It tears them up. And then we don't have spring. We have orange barrel season. And it's a long season. And it's already begun. Those barrels are everywhere. And they catch you off guard. And they, oh, if you're driving... A couple of weeks ago, we were coming home from Jackson, and I was just leisurely driving down I-696 East, and I came over the I-75 bridge, speed limit 70, so that's what I'm doing. And at the, the crest of the bridge there, the height, I look down and see nothing but brake lights. And I was thinking, ah, I should have got off at I-75. I should have got off because now I know I want to be home. And this is going to be a pain. There's a long way to go before the next exit. Cars are blocked. And of course it says, now they tell me after you've gone over the bridge, left lane closed ahead, left lanes closed ahead. And of course, everybody stays in the left lane. Now that happens around town a lot, doesn't it? You're, I'm sure you live near some orange barrels where it says, hey, there's a lane closed ahead. No. Common road courtesy says, okay, I'll move over. Oh, man, it's frustrating when you're in the left lane when it says right lane closed ahead, and everyone's kind of courtesy, you know, to one another. They're respectfully moving over, and then there's that one car, right, that goes by the whole line, and you want to swerve over and block him. What are you doing trying to pass me? Don't you see it says lane closed? Don't be that guy. 
Because I'll tell you, I don't want to let you in. I don't want to be a Christian at that moment. You have frustrated me beyond frustration. You all know what I'm talking about. You all know it. Oh, and then there's those times we had taken a trip uh, not very long ago, Julie and I to Pennsylvania, and so I was on roads I didn't know, and it was nighttime, and suddenly there was a stop, and it was literally a parking lot. I, 20 minutes, sat there, did not move. Ah, ugh, construction, it's so frustrating. Uh, it's, it slows you down. It unleashes the worst uh, emotions. But don't you know, because we can all, all of us who drive, we can relate to this. And even if we don't drive, if we're a passenger and we want to be somewhere, life can be like this. We're going along smoothly. Life is smooth. Life is great. And then whammo. We're under construction. Now, whether we know it or not, there is a contractor directing all this. It's not the road contractor. We don't like him because the potholes come back in about one season. But there's a contractor above our lives, the biggest, and that's the Lord. He's directing it, and you know what? We're all under construction. We're all projects. We're all works in the hands of God. His word said he's begun a good work in you, and he will complete it. If he's completing a work, well, that means something, doesn't it? Like it could mean some pain and some frustration and some building of patience and slowing down. It's ongoing work. He's working on us to complete us. And he's going to keep it up. And the thing is, it's necessary, isn't it? Who wants to drive on a pothole-filled or pothole-pocked road, right? You, You complain about it. I complain about it. I complain. These potholes are eating up the front end of my car. I'm losing tire after tire. I've got bent rims. The car's going like this all the time. But then when the work comes, when the repairs come, when the construction begins, it's like, well, why is this happening? Okay, we're, I'm never happy. All right? It's got to happen. The construction has got to happen despite the pain of the process, the time involved, the cost Construction has to happen because it's positive. The construction is to build up. It is to do something good. Opposite of destruction, which is to tear down and rip apart. So when it comes to God in our lives, we should realize that the intention, when it comes to the pain of work, God's hand on us, It's positive, just like it's positive to fix the roads. We just don't like the process, and we can admit that, especially when it's happening to us and it's our life. And I want to look at 
a life that God brought under construction and see if we can't learn from it. And that's the life of the man of sorrow. His name is Job. There's no, no bigger, I think, construction project on a person, an example for us. So let's get introduced to this man, Job, and the project that happened in his life. I want to read to you Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read quite a bit of the first three chapters of Job. But this brief introduction to his life, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So for this guy right here, life was good. Job was in a season where everything was going smoothly. He had all kinds of wealth. He had all kinds of great things happening. But meanwhile, there was something happening in the invisible realm, the spiritual realm that we can't see. I continue, Job 1 verse 6 one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered to the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. Then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So what happened that day? Satan received permission from the Lord to come against the man Job. And then one day, it happened. The Sabaeans attacked and they stole all of Job's ox and all of his donkeys. And they killed all the servants that looked after the oxen and the donkeys, except one who escaped. And he brought the bad news to Job. Job, all the oxen and the donkeys are gone. All the servants are dead. And while the servant was delivering this terrible news, another servant arrived, another messenger. He said, Job, a wildfire has swept through all the flocks of the sheep. And the sheep are gone. And all the shepherds are gone too. And I alone survived. And I've come to bring you this news. While that second servant was speaking, another messenger arrived. Job, he said, the Chaldeans, they've raided the camel, the camel herds. And they've killed all of the camel handlers. 
All the camels are gone. All the camel handlers are dead. I alone survived. And I'm bringing you this news. So there in one day, all of Job's herds, all of his flocks, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, all of the servants, save the three who came to talk to him, they're dead. But while this this third one was talking to him, a fourth messenger arrived on the scene. Job, your seven sons and your three daughters were having a great party at your eldest son's house. And suddenly a great windstorm came and it overtook the house. And it killed everyone inside. The house collapsed. They're all gone. All your sons and daughters and all the servants Except me, I survived and I came to tell you. Now that's some pretty dark water and deep pain. And here's how Job responded. The end of Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. After these four messengers and the terrible news. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Well, the going was smooth. Job's life was blessed. And then, slam like smashing on the brakes when you see the orange barrels. Something's going on. And in this case, devastation. Now Job's reaction, his response is instructive. In all this, he did not sin. He did not rail at God. He wisely saw God in all of what was going on. And he honored God, and he did not despise God, and he did not curse God. But the devil wasn't done. Chapter 2 opens, and there's more happening in this spiritual realm. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. 
His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. At this point, Job had lost his entire fortune. He had lost all of his children. And now his body was afflicted from head to toe to the point of incapacitation where he sits with pottery and he scrapes his skin. Now I suppose it's a little bit understandable that his wife would be bitter about this. And what did she tell him? What was her advice to her husband? Curse God. Curse God. Curse God and die. She tempted her husband to curse God. Why not? What does he have to live for? Everything's gone. He's got nothing but a life of pain and misery. But what did Job say? We've been blessed. We've received much from the hand of God. Shouldn't we accept adversity too? So Job seemed to understand he was under construction. He seemed to acknowledge the hand of God. He seemed to understand God was working on him in a big way. It had interrupted his life in the most major possible way. And so far, so good. Job was keeping the faith. He was staying the course, keeping his integrity. And then he sat down. Meanwhile, three of his friends heard about his predicament. And they had a meeting. And at their meeting, they said, hey, we should go visit Job. The man's in a serious bad way. Let's show our care and pay him a visit. So along come these three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Now, when they saw Job, they didn't recognize him. Imagine, he's covered with boils. Man looks terrible, unrecognizable. They were so distraught, they began to weep aloud. They tore their clothes. They put dust on their heads. All this is a sign of mourning. And they sat down with their friend. And they didn't say a word. They were totally devastated. Seven days, a full week went by. No one spoke a word. This is how terrible this, this situation was for Job. His life has been completely upended. He's totally broke, and he's there scratching himself to, to, to the point of bleeding, I imagine. And then Job broke open, and then he opened up. He had kept his composure and his integrity through some awful devastation. And then he opened his mouth, and out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke. And this is what Job said. Job chapter 3. This is the first six verses. After this, sitting around for a week, three friends not saying a word. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish in the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. 
that night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. Now, I could go on and on here. Job is just getting started. He's really just getting warmed up. He went on and on. Curse the day of my birth. Curse the day of my birth. May anybody else who curses days curse that day too. And then all the questions started to come. All the questions. Why? Why was I even born? Why was someone there to deliver me and set me on her knees and nurse me? If they weren't there, I'd be in the grave. Yes, I'd be at peace. And he went on. Why didn't I die in my mother's womb? It would have been better if I'd have never seen the light of day. Why is light even given to those in misery? Why, why, why is life given to a bitter soul? So bitter is a soul like mine. It's going to rejoice when it gets to the grave. Can't wait to die. What a lament. And his lament goes on and on in chapter 3. It's depressing. And he ends his dirge this way. Job 3, 23 to 26. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. The man buried his heart, didn't he? And in doing so, in opening up, he revealed something about himself. Job was living in fear. He was living in fear. He was living in dread. Sure, he was commanded by God. Hey, there's no one like this man. He's upright and he's righteous. And evidently, Job was living that upright and righteous life. But all the while, God was blessing him. And and protecting him. And as God was protecting him, even though Job had no idea what was going on, God said to the devil, you can afflict him, but don't take his life. So this major construction, if you will, began in Job's life. And Job, in this lament, in this dirge, when he opens his heart, he reveals one of the reasons it seems that God went to work on him. He was living in fear. And when this problem, when this trial, this immense pain came on Job and took all his wealth and took his family and then it afflicted his body, It was as if Job was saying, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this was too good to be true. This could never last. I was blessed, but it was just, it it, it was really just, you know, it was a joke. I knew this was going to come. I knew it was going to be taken away. And now it's happened. Everything is gone. 
Everything I've ever had is gone. I'm a physical wreck. Job had been living with this internal fear, this worry, this dread that this was going to happen. And what lesson can we learn? What could we take away in our own lives right now? And I say this. Anticipate. Anticipate God's hand working in your life. Even in painful ways. And don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Anticipate the construction. Because I'll tell you what, construction's coming. He has begun a good work in you and will complete it. And it comes to all of us. The work, the hand of God comes to all of us. No one is immune to the need to have God's hand working in their life. Think of some of the great names. Think of some of the great names of the Old Testament. Now consider Jacob. The man had a favorite son. His name was Joseph. And now what happened to him? The favorite child of his old age. Nah, it was taken away from Jacob. Jacob had a great test in his life. And then there's Moses. Moses who had this destination in mind. 40 years he looked after a, a nuisance of a people, a complaining people. But he had this end in mind, a promised land, and got there to the point of it. And nope, sorry, you're not going in. David, who's whose heart was all about family, and he was overflowed with affection for his family. Man lost one son, son after another by horrible means. Yeah, they killed each other, and even to the day he died, the sword never left his house. These, these are people, God's hands working on them uh, for a point. God's hand works on us for a point. It's there in our lives, and it's ever-present like it was in the great names of the Old Testament. And it's there to help us and to awaken our minds and our hearts to acknowledge his presence, even if it's painful, even in the tough situations of our life. So we should expect it. We should anticipate his working. We see it over and over again in Scripture. And we see it so we can be assured it's God's working in the lives of mortals, in the lives of his creatures in order to work out his plan. His divine providence is working. So we should therefore anticipate the working of God. And it need not be in fear and it need not be in dread as it appeared to be in Joel's Job's life because God knows what he's doing. You know, Job was living in fear and then he was continually sighing. He had no peace, no quietness, no rest. Only turmoil, he said. Fear had got the man. Fear that something was going to happen something out of his control. And that seems to be what might have motivated his fear. It's out of my control. Who has control? 
The opening chapters of the book of Job, they answered a question clearly beyond a doubt. And the answer should dispel all fear in us. We should not fear because God is in control. The devil was not in control. The devil had to incite God. The devil had to control God. Let me at the man. Let me at him. I took his family. I took his wealth. Oh, yeah. Sure, he stayed true to you. But let me at him. Because as soon as I touch him, he'll curse you. But God set boundaries, didn't he? God said, no, here's the limit. Here's the limit. Devil, you're not in control. The devil's not in control. And the man wasn't in control either. Job admitted this to his wife. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? He seemed to have some inkling that God was in this. And then there's God. God who suggested to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? He's upright and he's righteous. It was God who initiated the construction project in Job's life. God is the greatest. He is the highest order general contractor. God is ultimately in control over everything. He was in control of the timing of what occurred in Job's life. He was uh, in control of the scope of what occurred in Job's life. God allowed it. God allows good. God allows evil. And he uses the means of nature and mankind for his desired end. And we need not fear it. Because we have an eternal perspective. But rather we should anticipate, anticipate God's working in his hand, the construction in our life, and realize that God is in control of it all. When God came to this earth in human flesh as Jesus Christ, he remained in control. Jesus willingly gave his life he willingly gave his life for me and for you. And when the Roman governor Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? Jesus had an answer for the man. You wouldn't have any power over me if it weren't given to you from above. God's in control. The man was not in control. Pilate wasn't in control of our salvation. No, God was. Jesus gave his life. He was God's only son. And Jesus says, fear not. Are you, are you sighing all day? <sighs> Living in fear? It's coming. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Afraid of the future, dreading tomorrow, worried, worried about some future problem, some issue. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know why? It's coming. It's coming. And you can learn from God's hand in your life. You can be bettered by it. That's why it's there. That's why we have these, these times of construction. And you can be built up, bettered, smoothed out, knowing God is in it. Remembering God is in it. Not getting to the point where you're going to curse the day that you were born. God's in control. 
Ultimately, he has your end in mind. Now, we're not getting through the entire book of Job, but he had Job's end in mind. And we'll see more of that in some of the weeks to come. God has your end in mind, an eternal end. And he gave his son. He gave his son up for death for our eternity. And we get to live with that. We get to live with that knowledge, to know that Jesus had our end in mind, an eternity in mind, that Jesus gave his, his life for us. And when we receive his sacrifice, it does something. It seals for us our eternal destination. So the tests, the trials, the construction zones of life, it's God working us to be more Christ-like and productive in his kingdom on earth. And we should realize it and even celebrate it. And let's celebrate it as we sit down this morning at the communion table. I want to uh, ask our elders and deacons if you'd prepare to serve us. And uh, I want to let you know, too, our communion's open to all who have called on Jesus as Lord and Savior, but just keep little children, if you have them, from receiving. Keep them from something that they don't completely understand. Now, as the spread's being passed, hold on to it. We're going to bless it together. And, and call to mind what Jesus did for us. And think about it. As we might even think about some of the things that are painful in our own lives right now that we may be able to say, I need to see the hand of God. Show me, God. You're, I know you're working. I know you're in it all. You're in control of all things. What is it you want me to learn from this? Now, Jesus went through it, and he understands, and he sympathizes with our weaknesses, and he went to the cross for us. The apostle Paul wrote this and reminds us about how we should receive the bread and the cup. He said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. We read this passage of Scripture very often. And it might seem rote. It might seem like I've heard it so many times. And it goes in one ear and out the other. But there's this part in here that points to, points to God's work on us and that construction in our lives. 
Are we discerning the body of Christ rightly? And the apostle says, if you're not, well, this is why many among you are, you're hurting. God's trying to get maybe our attention about something. And hear this important, important event that we celebrate right now, the death and the, the burial of our Lord and his giving of his life. It has some deep, deep meaning. So hold this bread and think about that. Is God working on you? Is something happening in your life? Are you to the point where you're sighing, saying, ah, I wish I was never born? Take time to look inside and just ask the Lord, Lord, am I missing something? You're working on me. Help me to see it. I know it's for my positive. I know it's for my benefit. But I'm stuck right now. I'm stuck as it were, stopped, frustrated. Help me see the end. Take time to, to look at your own heart. If you haven't discerned the body of Christ rightly, his body, his kingdom, before we consume this. So take a minute internally. It's what the word says. Examine yourself. Father, help us to see internally our own shortcomings, failures. Lord, and help us. If we've fallen short where we should be, strong for you, bold for you, if we haven't discerned your body rightly, if we haven't perceived your hand in some of the areas of our life where we've been saying it hurts God help us right now Lord as we look internally in our own hearts in our own lives and privately confess to you and judge ourselves as your word says we thank you we thank you for the grace that we have where your word tells us if we take this time to do this Lord we won't fall under your judgment thank you thank you thank you now, God, as we hold this bread, we ask your blessing on it. We ask you to bless it unto us. It, it is 
representative of the broken body of our Savior Jesus. Oh God, let us never take for granted what he has done for us in the giving of his life to win us eternity. How precious that is. We thank you for it as we receive this bread together. We say, bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. See together.
This cup represents the blood of Jesus. What Calvary has bought for me, both now and forevermore. It's amazing to think about. He gave it for us. Hold this cup as we bless it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless this cup unto us. The cup of blessing which we bless. Blessing because Jesus let himself be tortured, crucified, his blood shed for us. What a blessing for our eternity. Thank you for this cup, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. We appreciate it and we ask your blessing on this cup for us. Bless it to us, Lord. And again, may we never ever take it for granted. We receive it now together in his name, Jesus. Amen. Thankful for the sky 
So forever I am thankful for the scars. So forever I am thankful for the scars. Yes, we're thankful, oh, we Lord. We're thankful. Thank you, Lord. You're awesome. You're holy. We thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your hand. Thank you for your working in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's none like you. You're our Lord, our Savior. You're worthy to be praised and glorified in it all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. God, help us to say thank you for your hand in our life. Even when it feels as if it's heavy, if it's hard, help us to acknowledge you're in it. We're grateful you have us. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're a blessing. You're a hand of blessing. You're working us to something. We thank you for it. And we look forward to our being better because of it. Oh, help us to just submit to your hand. It is a blessing. It is. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, bless your people. God bless them. Father, God, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon every single person in this sanctuary and keep them, Lord. Give them the peace that passes understanding. Lord, to keep their heart, their mind, their soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen.